Walters is back open to full capacity with bar service and their ever-so-popular self-pour beer wool. Think you've got what it takes to pour a perfect pint? Walters is the place to give it a shot from micro to macro and lunch to brunch. Walters is the place to be in Navy Yard. Reservations now open for the entire Nats homestand over at opentable.com. Walters is a great option this Memorial Day weekend, whether you're going to a game or just want to hang out and watch the NBA playoffs with friends. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the set. The kick, the pitch. Swinging a ground ball up the middle. It's off the glove of the shortstop. Adamas into the center field. Gomes scores. Now there's a traffic jam. Bell goes to third and Mercer's standing there. Kane comes in. He's chasing Bell toward third and will tag him out. Actually, he missed the tag, but Bell's out of the baseline. And so the Nationals run into it out there on a play in which they take the lead. It's 2-1. to one. Mercer was held at third. Bell kept on going to third. And so he's tagged out for the second out of the inning. Here's a swing and a line drive over the head of Castro. A base hit down the left field line. Hits the sidewall, caroms out. It'll score a run. Yelich in to score. Wong over to third. And in the second with a double is Willie Adamas. And the hit parade for the Brewers here in the sixth inning just continues. They've scored four times. It's now Milwaukee six and the Nationals two. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, May 30th, 2021, along with Nationals Insider, Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is part two of the doubleheader that was at Nationals Park on a rainy, cold, windy day on Saturday. The Nationals swept in a doubleheader against the Milwaukee Brewers, a nine-game homestand that was ripe for the Nats to get fat and happy on it. Instead, now sees the Nats trying to avoid a three-game sweep to the Brewers on Sunday afternoon. More on that game coming up shortly, what is a marquee pitching matchup. But for now, the Nationals are 21-27 and overall, 0-5 in seven-inning games on the season. It was a 6-2, seven-inning loss to the Brewers in the Saturday night game, the game two of the doubleheader. It was another woeful offensive performance for the Nats. Now, in, in a different kind of way, Nats did have eight hits and four walks. But seven of the eight hits were singles. Nats went one for nine with runners in scoring position. It was a game that was close and that ended up actually not being so close. One of those games that like you felt like, you know, you sneezed and all of a sudden uh, the Brewers were up by four runs. Uh, Brewers scored four runs in the top of the sixth inning. In a seven inning game, by the way, 
that lasted three hours, okay? So I know, Mark, you don't like the seven-inning games, and I get why, but for people like me, a seven-inning game that goes three hours, we'd still be watching the game if that thing was a nine-inning game, that game two. I mean, maybe so, Al, but this was the, in person, this was just such a slow, drag-it-out, miserable night when the weather was awful, and I don't know, I part of me thinks that it went slower because it was seven innings, because the managers say, well, we got to pull the starters early. Now we got to play the matchups in the fourth inning and the fifth inning. Uh, I don't know if they do the same thing if they know that it's nine. So maybe there's less dragging in those middle innings if you're going to play nine. I don't know. This was, I didn't think this was exactly a, the poster child for why we should have seven inning baseball. It wasn't, wasn't anything thrilling about this one uh, other than the fact that it was over. So I don't know. I'm no more a fan of seven inning baseball after this doubleheader than I have been prior to this point, which is to say I'm still not a fan at all of it. Well, we took a poll on Twitter, which we know is ultra scientific and never incorrect. Uh, You can follow the Nats Chat podcast on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. Got roughly 1,500 votes on this, basically asking, okay, what is the ideal length of a baseball game? Seven innings, eight innings, or nine innings? The runaway winner was nine innings, 81%. Seven innings came in at number two at 15%. Eight innings, just 4%. Yeah, eight innings would be kind of weird. If you're going to do eight, you might as well do nine. But uh, but uh, yeah, I, look, it's not going to change. It's going to be nine innings. There's too much history. You'd, you'd have to completely revamp how you look at everything. Plus, the Players Association would throw a fit because it would cost people jobs, et cetera. But I think it is interesting, especially when, again, you get some of these games that just take forever. And we've seen that with the Nats uh, so far this year. But anyway, it doesn't matter whether you play five innings, seven innings, 18 innings. The Nats offense stinks. It's awful right now. And it was another bad performance over these two games on Saturday. And a guy who we got into on the previous installment of the podcast, I want to bring up again, Juan Soto. Another rough game for him in game two of this doubleheader. Like I said in the previous installment of the podcast, I really think, I hope, that we look back upon Saturday, May 29th, the doubleheader sweep to the Brewers as the low point of Soto's season. The low point of this first true Juan Soto slump in his major league career. Soto in game two goes 0 for 3, draws an intentional walk, but has two strikeouts. The two strikeouts, he strikes out on four pitches with a runner on first and nobody out in the Nats one run third. He strikes out on five pitches with runners on first and second and one out in the bottom of the six. As you have said, he's coming up in like prime Soto opportunities, like exactly what you would want as a Nationals fan. And uncharacteristically, He's not delivering. And I tell you, he's striking out a lot. We're not used to seeing him strike out like this. Yeah. So as much as we've talked about, oh, he's hitting the ball hard, but they're all on the ground. He needs to elevate. You got to make contact first before you can do any of that. And he has had not just strikeouts, but on some ugly swings, some check swings, some swings that are late, some swings that just make you feel like he's not fully committed to them. And uh, that's a problem. These are just not things that we have ever seen from Juan Soto in his time in the big leagues. It's frustrating to him. I pointed that out in the last episode, how he slammed his helmet down after the double play ball. And I mean, it, it's so bad right now that I actually thought the Brewers made a big gaffe in this game. Now it worked out in the end for them, but I thought that when they intentionally walked him in the fourth to load the bases for Ryan Zimmerman, that that was a mistake because right now Ryan Zimmerman is a bigger threat at the plate than Juan Soto. Yes, that is true. It may not stay this way for long, but at this moment, Ryan Zimmerman is a bigger threat than Juan Soto. Zim hit the ball on the screws, 106 miles an hour, scorched a line drive just to the right of center field. Lorenzo Cain tracked it down. That was the end of that rally. But 
it wouldn't have taken much for that to backfire on Milwaukee. And that to me says they're not paying attention because Juan Soto is not Juan Soto right now and hasn't been for a while. The Soto struggles continued on Saturday night. You continued to see guys put in spots they should not be put in. Starling Castro is not a number five batter. He should not be the Nationals routine number five batter. He comes up, runners on first and second, two outs, bottom of the first, strikes out on five pitches. You know, Castro for a while was doing okay in terms of racking up hits. That's not been the case lately. I know he had a hit in each game on Saturday, but his OPS has plummeted over the last few weeks. Uh, Jordy Mercer was back out there as a starting second baseman in game two. I get it. It's game two of a doubleheader. I get it. He's on the roster. Uh, I question well, why he's on the roster. Jordy Mercer went 0 for 2. Here is your Jordy Mercer slash line now on the season. Batting average of 222, on base percentage of 239, slugging percentage of 267. Is Jordy Mercer the reason the Nats are six games below 500? No. But this goes in part, this is a part of why the Nats are so bad offensively. This lack of depth, this lack of true options that you have to play Jordy Mercer even semi-regularly is a really big problem. He gives you nothing offensively. That was the case again on Saturday night. And then there was the Josh Bell base running boo-boo. Now, Josh Bell, as a pinch hitter, delivered on Saturday night. Pinch one out, five-pitch walk to load the bases in the Nats' one-run fourth. That, by the way, is a snapshot into the Nats' offensive season. They had the bases loaded with one out in the fourth inning, only end up scoring the one run. But later in the inning, a very weird play happens, and ultimately, Josh Bell is called out for leaving the base paths of getting caught in a rundown between second and third for the second out. This happened on that Trey Turner bases loaded full count run scoring fielder's choice grounder that led to the error by the Brewers shortstop Willie Adamas. There was a lot happening on that play, including a non-send by Bob Sendley Henley, ironically enough. But what exactly transpired? What did Davey have to say about this after the game? This was a weird one, yes. And essentially, what you need to know is this. The ball gets past the shortstop and into shallow center field. So the lead runner from third, Jan Gomes, scores easily. The trailing runner, Jordy Mercer on second, I'm just expecting him to be waved around and and he's going to score. Maybe there's a play at the plate, but he's probably going to score. And so I'm watching Josh Bell as he rounds second and he's heading to third. And then all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, somebody's still on third base. He's trying to advance to a base that's already occupied. And that's why he gets in the rundown and ultimately tagged out on the very rare eight unassisted play. (laughs) How often do you see the center fielder get to make an out like that. Um, so what happened? Well, Bob Henley didn't send him, <laughs> which is one of the few times in his career he hasn't done that. The explanation was essentially that Henley, you know, from his angle, he saw the ball get into center field, but didn't think it was that far away and saw Kane coming up on it. So he didn't think that Mercer was going to score. So he held him up. Josh Bell, who's closer to the play, saw it get farther away, probably had the right read on it in that this did look like an easy extra base to take. But the mistake ultimately is if you're the trailing runner in any situation, it doesn't matter if you're right. If the guy in front of you isn't running, you can't run. You can only advance as far as your your lead runner will allow you to. And so even though, yes, Josh Bell should have been on third and Jordy Mercer should have scored, the fact that Mercer wasn't running, it's up to Bell to notice that, put on the brakes and get back before anything happens. And that turned into... uh, just an ugly play. Now, they still had a chance, like I said, you, what, that was the inning that Zimmerman ends up coming up with the bases loaded. But maybe the inning plays differently if they don't have that base running, unforced error on the ba- on the bases. 
Yeah, and that's the second time in a week that Josh Bell has made a bad out between second and third base. You go back to the win over the Orioles last Sunday afternoon, 6-5. Bell in that game, first pitch leadoff single, bottom of the third, then gets thrown out at third for the second out on a ground ball. The Orioles shortstop, Freddie Galvis, right? So on a ball hit in front of Bell, he still ends up being thrown out uh, at third base. So that was bad. A couple of uh, boo-boos on the base pass for Bell, who has been better offensively here lately, as we've chronicled. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet Falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Games on Sunday afternoon include the Orioles at the Chicago White Sox at 210. The O's seeking to avoid a 13th consecutive loss, but starting Keegan Aiken against the former Nationals prospect Lucas Giolito. Aiken has struggled this season. Giolito has 23 strikeouts over his last 20 innings. White Sox certainly look like the play. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109-WITH-IT, Indiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia, Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. So Turner at second. Here's the pitch. Swing a rocket to right field. This is going to be in there. It's going to be down and by the right fielder Garcia to the wall. Turner will score. Zim on his way to second. He's in there standing with another double. RBI 15 for Zim. The Nationals have their first lead in the doubleheader. It's one to nothing here in the third. Now, you mentioned Ryan Zimmerman. A weird game for him on Saturday night. On the one hand, terrific, right? Two doubles and an RBI. Uh, Two-out double, bottom of the first, was down in the count at 1.12. One-out RBI double, bottom of the third, to conclude an eight-pitch plate appearance in which he was down in the count at 1.12. But he also left a bunch of men on base. He left five men on base in the game, struck out on three pitches with runners on first and second, two outs in the bottom of the sixth, in addition uh, to the fail that you brought up earlier. So it's kind of odd. Like, on the one hand, you say, well, Ryan Zimmerman had a very good game, and he did. Two doubles. It's hard to complain about that, especially with the lack of power displayed by the Nats so far this season. On the other hand, though, it kind of was emblematic of the Nationals offensively so far this season, where they don't come through in the clutch, and innings that should be a lot bigger than the innings end up being take place because the Nats don't deliver in prime run scoring opportunities. Yeah, so, I mean, look, the, those first two doubles are were great and further evidence that he is crushing left-handed pitching right now. He's hitting 389 off lefties, slugging 583. He's been fantastic against lefties and has been for several years now. And that's why if I'm Davey Martinez, every opportunity I have to get Reinserman to the plate against a left-handed pitcher, you have to do it. I don't care how good Josh Bell looks. I don't care what inning it is if it's coming off the bench. If there is net bat against a lefty, I want Ryan Zimmerman at the plate for that. Now, the other two, the outs came against righties. We talked about the line out with the bases loaded. There's nothing else he can do there. He hit that ball as well as you're going to hit it. If it's just a, a, a little bit to the right, it gets past Kane. If it's a little bit higher, it gets past him and maybe he clears the bases. So you can't get on him for that one. That's, that is a legitimate unlucky out. We've talked about how the Nats are claiming a lot of unlucky outs this year. Maybe they all haven't been. That one is a true unlucky out. He couldn't have done anything else about it. Now, the strikeout in the eighth, in the sixth, <laughs> I said the eighth because it essentially is the eighth inning in a seven-inning game, came against Devin Williams, who has got just one of the most devastating pitches you've ever seen. It's a, officially a changeup. I think he calls it like what, an airbender, something like that. I mean, when you watch it, you're like, how does anybody ever hit this? And that's the pitch that he struck Zimmerman out on. So again, yeah, it's a big spot, and it would have been great for them to convert on that one. But given who he was facing, it's hard to find fault with that because that guy was best reliever in the league last year. I know he hasn't been this year, but that pitch when it's on, it's, it's unhittable. I don't know what you're supposed to do with that one. Yeah, Devin Williams in the 2020 season had an ERA of 0.33. Uh, not bad. That's pretty good. One earned run over 27 innings for Devin Williams last season. Uh, so he was outstanding. Not as good this year as you noted. I, I did want to note a couple of other things with the Nationals lineup. So first of all, Trey Turner on Saturday night, 0 for 3 with a walk and an RBI, but 2 for 2 on stolen bases and an outstanding defensive play. So first of all, one of the stolen bases was just hysterical. He gets picked off and he still gets the stolen base. He has a uh, leadoff five-pitch walk and a stolen base in the Nats one-run third. That was the inning in which he steals a base despite having been picked off, just to, you know, capture the speed that Trey Turner possesses. And then the defensive play. You know, we've noted how Trey Turner off a bad defensive 2020 has been so much better so far in 2021. In the Brewers' one-run fifth, Trey Turner on what was scored an infield single by Willie Adamas essentially pitched the ball 
a la a quarterback running the option to Starling Castro at third base, who ultimately tags out Colton Wong due to Wong's foot coming off third base. Wong went back feet first and apparently didn't get back there in time. Trey Turner with a brilliant play. Comes in barehands it and a backhand flip to Castro. Now, if Wong's foot doesn't come off third base, then he's safe, and that ends up being, you know, a nice attempt by Trey, but nothing more. But it ended up turning into an out. And the job and, and sort of the, the presence of mind, the wherewithal for Turner to do that, the athleticism by which he did that, I just I thought that was so impressive, that play that Trey Turner made. Again, that like quarterback option pitch to Castro for that out in that Brewers one run fifth inning. Yeah, so it was drawing comparisons to Derek Jeter because Jeter sort of made a name for himself with those crazy plays and the plays that, uh, you know, the traditional lovers of baseball tout him for being so headsy and who attempts to do these things. And, oh, my God, Derek Jeter is just the, the smartest baseball player who ever lived. And, you know, yeah, he did a lot of those things well, but he's not the only one who can do it. And I thought it was just a great job by Trey of, in that split second, understanding the moment. He knew he wasn't going to have a play at first. The batter was going to be safe. He knows there's a runner approaching third. And he thinks to himself, let me just give it a try. It may not work. If, if he holds the bag, and you know, nothing happens. But might as well try it. And so he just flips it over there, the little shovel pass. And you never know, sometime it will work. And it did. <laughs> and it you know was a big out for them at the time. You kind of thought, hey, this could be a momentum turner. Maybe uh, get them uh, back on the right track. And it, it didn't in the end. But you're seeing the complete evolution now of Trey Turner into a complete ball player. He hits for average. He hits for power. He runs as well as anybody. And he's now playing gold glove caliber shortstop. He really is a complete player. And it is a shame that they aren't maximizing this and that he's not doing it while the team is really good. Because I think if he was, more people would be recognizing him as one of the very best shortstops in baseball. And I think smart baseball people know that he is, but he's not getting the national attention that he deserves. No, and he deserves every ounce of attention that he gets. That was some play that he made on Saturday night. Now, on the flip side, I did think this was a game in which Josh Harrison and center field cost the Nats. And I know he's barely played that position in his major league career, but you know, with the Nats and their lack of depth and their lack of options, they have to do things like start Josh Harrison in center field. They've done it twice already this season. And Harrison in center field cost the Nats in game two on Saturday night. He committed a fielding error on Kristen Yelich's pinch leadoff single in that Brewers one-run fifth inning. And Harrison made a horrendous throw on that Jackie Bradley Jr. one-out RBI sack fly in the top of the sixth for a 4-2 Brewers lead. Now, I don't want to crush Harrison again. He's not used to doing this. He's a veteran. You know, he really should not be out there. He certainly shouldn't be playing as much as he's played so far this season. And he's been productive overall. Uh, but that's a spot where not having Victor Robles out there harms you. That, that, that throw on the Bradley sack fly, that wasn't close uh, to being uh, making that play competitive. Yeah, from up in the press box, you're right behind home plate and you got a great angle on that. And as soon as the ball goes in the air, you're thinking, that's not where he's supposed to be throwing the ball. <laughs> that is not the direction that this baseball should be going. Look, you talked about the depth issue earlier. And here's where the domino effect, the chain reaction comes into play. Because Carter Keboom didn't make the team out of spring training, a guy who was supposed to be the everyday third baseman, and that would have moved Starlin Castro to second and allowed Josh Harrison to play all over the place. Well, now Jordy Mercer isn't in the lineup, or maybe isn't even on the team. And because they're facing a lefty in this game, 
Andrew Stevenson, who has not been good, especially against lefties, is not going to start that game. Well, they have no other center fielders. So Josh Harrison becomes your center fielder, which means that Jordy Mercer becomes your second baseman. And that's how you end up with that alignment and that lineup for this game. That is not a lineup that a contending team should be putting out there. And it's because of those other factors. Yes, Victor Robles is hurt. That changes everything. But one player getting injured should not disrupt everything as much as that. And the reason it is is because of the other things that have happened previously that left them with so little depth that they have to put a 33-year-old in center field who's hadn't played the position before and a backup who is a borderline candidate to be on the roster in the first place now starting at second base because he's their best offensive option against a lefty. That's where they are right now. This is who they have. Coming back to that point too, right? Like Starling Castro is not a number five batter and yet he keeps batting number five. Uh, Jordy Mercer is not a second baseman at the major league level, certainly not from an offensive standpoint, and yet the Nats have had to go to him. Josh Harrison is not a center fielder, and yet the Nats have made him start in center field for the first two times of his career. This is a guy who's been in the majors for a while, and the Nats have had to put him out in the center field because of the lack of options. Like, this is bad. This is the roster construction problem that we keep coming back to. Hey, everyone. Tim Shover is here to tell you again about Sunday Scaries CBD Gummies. Sunday Scaries is here to hook up our listeners for your first order. Go to sundayscaries.com and type in Nats Chat, that's one word, in the promo code to get 25% off your first order. Again, it's sundayscaries.com. When you enter the promo code at checkout, type in Nats Chat to receive 25% off your first order. They have plenty of options, including oils, gummies, and bath bombs. What's a bath bomb? I'm not quite sure, but sundayscaries.com can bring you up to speed. I've been using the gummies, which helps me fall right asleep. Sometimes I don't sign off for the night until 3 a.m. or later. So Sunday Scaries is a big help. So if you're someone who needs help chilling out after a long day of work, Sunday Scaries is a great option for you. And Sunday Scaries appeals to a wide range of people, whether you're a stressed out parent, overworked college student, or everything in between. To recap, sundayscaries.com, promo code NATSCHAT to save 25% off your first order. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at realestaterachel. All right, John Lester was the Nats starting pitcher on Saturday night, was coming off back-to-back bad outings. John Lester, over his previous two starts, gave up 11 runs in nine and a third innings. He was back to being the John Lester we saw, I thought, over his first three starts of this season. Certainly not lights out. You know, he uh, engineered a lot of traffic, okay? He put guys on the base pass. He was not dominant. But ultimately, one run in four innings. Uh, He struck out four. Did give up five hits, a double and four singles, but he issued no walks. He certainly labored, and then he had just one clean inning, the top of the first. He threw 74 pitches over the four innings, but he did throw strikes, 50 strikes versus 24 balls, and ultimately the run prevention was there. I recognize this is a low bar. I'm not trying to throw a parade over a guy giving up one run in four innings, but especially given what we had seen from Lester, this to me was a step forward off his last two outings. Yeah, he was better. He was, I think the word for it is effective. (laughs) And and you can point to all the factors in there that maybe would have suggested he shouldn't have been as effective as he was. But in the end, he gave up one run. So that's effective. Doesn't matter how you get there if the end result is okay. 
Now, here's another example. If this is a nine-inning game, he probably gets to stay out there a little bit longer. But because it's a seven-inning game, he's through the fourth, his spot's coming up in the lineup. They just can't take any more chances. They need to get a real hitter out there, and that's why Josh Bell pinch hit for him in the fifth. So I know he was frustrated, just felt like, you know, like he had pitched well enough to get another inning or two, but he understands the situation in a doubleheader game like this. So, you know, it was fine. He was fine. He's certainly not the reason they lost the game. In the big picture, though, they're going to need to start getting some starts from people not named Max Scherzer that actually win them games, not just keep them in games. This team was built to have a great rotation. We talked about Patrick Corbin in the last episode. Corbin, Strasburg, and I put Lester in the same category because they signed him for a reason. They need some great starts from them. They need them to go out and win some games for them because, as we've seen, this lineup isn't good enough to win games for them on a regular basis. Every once in a while it comes together, but more often than not, that's not how you're going to win games. They're going to have to do it behind their rotation. It's the way they were built. If this is the roster, then you have to say what are their strongest points. It should be the rotation and then maybe the back end of the bullpen. They're going to have to win games three to two, two to one. They're going to have to get great starts from multiple pitchers, not just Max Scherzer. Yeah, and that has not been the case so far this season. And the importance of what you just outlined is heightened by the fact that the bullpen does continue to come back down to earth. And we saw that on Saturday night. Four Nationals relievers combined to give up five runs in three innings. Wander Suero struggled in the top of the fifth, gave up a run on three hits, recorded just one out. And the one out was due to that outstanding defensive play by Trey Turner. Daniel Hudson was charged with three runs in one and a third innings. Came into the game top of the fifth, Runner on first, one out, game tied at two, and does his job, acts as a fireman, first pitch induces a 4-6-3 double play for the second and third outs, but then comes the next inning in which Hudson gets charged with three runs. Uh, that Brewers four-run, six-inning, leadoff, five-pitch walk of Lorenzo Cain, one out, first pitch, ribby single by Luis Urias, a one-out pinch, seven-pitch walk by Travis Shaw, a wild pitch, then a one-out RBI sack fly by Jackie Bradley Jr. Then comes Sam Clay, and he struggled big time. Only officially allowed a run in the Brewers' four-run six, but he was a lot worse than that. This is why you can't just go by relievers' ERAs. Clay, in that inning, comes into the game, runner on second, two outs, gives up a two-out four-pitch walk of Kristen Yelich, two-out RBI single by Colton Wong on an 0-2 pitch, and a two-out RBI double by Willie Adamas. Only our guy Paolo Espino was sound in terms of natural relievers in this game two loss. A scoreless top of the seventh inning because that's what Paolo does. He puts up zeros on the scoreboard. But when it came to Suero, Hudson, and Clay, uh, that was not good on Saturday night. It was not good. And here's the telling sign for me. Suero comes in to start the fifth inning. And before he's even thrown his first pitch, Daniel Hudson's already warming up in the bullpen. This is the fifth inning, which is the equivalent of the seventh inning in a full game. That tells you how little confidence Davey had in Suero to give him a clean inning. That he knew, I better get Hudson up because I'm going to need him to get out of, put out a fire here before the inning's over. And sure enough, three batters later, he's in the game trying to get out of it. Now he did, but they're asking for so much out of this guy. And you start to worry that the workload's going to get to him. He's been great to this point, but now the last couple outings, he gave up some inherited runners. And then in this one, he gave up three runs of his own. The velocity is still there. You know, he doesn't look like he's injured or anything like that. But at some point, this is going to catch up with you. All this workload for a veteran pitcher, they've got to be able to get clean innings from somebody else so that they can give Daniel Hudson nights off and not have to call on him 
every time they're in a close game late and they need their best reliever to either get out of a jam or get through an inning to, to set the, the stage for the ninth. So that concerns me. There are signs there of kind of like what happened with Sean Doolittle a couple of years ago when he was the only one they trusted and they had to use him all the time and eventually it caught up with him. You really hope this is not the case with Hudson. It may get to a point that Davey has to say, I'm just not going to use him tonight. The other guys are going to have to get the job done. Is Davey just totally against ever using Brad Hand in a spot in which Davey uses Hudson? It seems like it. I thought that wasn't going to be the case going in. I thought you would see the two of them used depending on what the matchup said uh, and that if it was lefties, he would go with Hand earlier in the game. That just has not been the case. I think we saw it maybe once. For whatever reason, that's not the way they want to go about it. And and look, Hudson has you know proven whether there's something to it or it's just dumb luck. He's proven to be pretty good at getting out of jams. <laughs> and that goes all the way back to 2019 when they acquired him from the Blue Jays. So maybe they just kind of like him in that role. He does like that role. He seems to thrive on it as well. But yeah, I would like to see Hand a little more in some of those spots. Maybe you save Hudson. But more than anything, they just need somebody else, whether it's Suero, whether it's Voth, whether it's Finnegan. Somebody else who can come in, give a clean inning, and allow the big names to have a day off because over a long season, it's going to wear on you. And eventually, they're either going to be ineffective or they're going to get hurt. And you really hope neither of those uh, proves to be true. Yeah, we may now be starting to see the beginning of the ineffectiveness of Daniel Hudson. Like you said, this is a second straight outing in which he's not particularly good. I know this outing was the first time he'd given up a run and whatever it was, but uh, Daniel Hudson in the 5-3 win over the Reds in that uh, rain-suspended game that was completed on Thursday afternoon, technically a scoreless inning, but he allowed two inherited runners to score. Gave up a couple of singles and an RBI sack fly. Well, the struggling Nationals offense on Sunday afternoon has as the opposing starting pitcher, the single best pitcher in baseball so far this season in Brandon Woodruff. This is actually going to be a really exciting game, assuming we're able to get it in with the weather. Uh, But Max Scherzer versus Brandon Woodruff as the Nats try to avoid being swept by the Brewers over these three games over two days. Brandon Woodruff, in case you are unaware, as of games through Friday, number one in the majors in earned run average, 141, ERA plus, 287, whip 0.703. Max Scherzer is, of course, having a very good season. You could argue these are the two best pitchers on the planet right now. There are certainly other contenders, but this is a marquee pitching matchup, the likes of which we don't get much of these days in baseball for many reasons. I- I'm excited to watch this, but I-, I-, I do wonder, this is a Nationals offense that has struggled against bad starting pitchers this season. We saw what happened the last time this Nats lineup faced a dominant starter in Jacob deGrom. The Nationals were feeble and submissive. Uh, I wonder what could go down Sunday afternoon against Woodruff, who has been out of his mind so far this year. So I just said that they're going to need their starting pitchers to start winning them some games. May have to win a game one nothing, 2-1. to one. Yeah, this is, the, this is it. <laughs> Max Scherzer's got to be perfect or close to it. There's just no way about it because it's hard to see how they're going to score a bunch of runs unless they drive up Woodruff's pitch count and get to the bullpen early and maybe score some runs late. This is not going to be a high scoring game. And so Scherzer is going to have to be on point and pitch deep into the game and hopefully win it for them. And they may try to win a game with one or two runs as their only hope. You say we don't see these matchups often. We've seen this exact matchup here when the stakes were quite a bit higher in the 2019 wildcard game. These were the two starters. People didn't really know much about Woodruff at that point. He had been hurt 
for a lot of the year. He wasn't supposed to go very far in that game. He pitched very well and then didn't last long. And then ultimately, all we remember is what happened against Josh Hader in the bottom of the eighth. But that was uh, sort of the beginning of his coming out party. He is really good, doesn't get a lot of attention for it. And this is a marquee matchup. And by the way, uh, I get that they may be the two of the best pitchers on the planet, but Jacob deGrom, let's not forget him. I know he's been hurt. Things have taken a little bit of a downturn there, but uh, one game with your life on the line right now, Jacob deGrom is still probably the guy that people would want him. Yeah, probably. Uh, but, you know, like you, I'm just saying you can make the argument for these two. And, and you know, I, I think just as an aside, this is, when it comes to baseball right now, this is something that I think does hurt baseball. Like, if you're a GM, right, you do, all, all you care about is winning. You don't care about marketing the game. So you do things like you have pitchers only go five innings. You know, you load up on a bunch of flamethrowing relievers. You know, you bullpen games. You go with openers, et cetera. But one thing that baseball really has lost over the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years is the marquee pitching matchups, you know, and the idea of like, you know, back in the day, right, you'd open up the sports section and you'd see who's pitching today and you'd look at the pitching matchups or, you know, you go to ESPN.com or something, you say, who's pitching today? You look at the pitching matchups. You don't really do that anymore because pitching matchups have, have by and large lost their sex appeal. Well, here's a matchup on Sunday afternoon with some real sex appeal, two studs, you know, two franchise starting pitchers, two real legit aces going head-to-head Sunday afternoon, Memorial Day weekend. Like, that's exciting. We don't get that kind of thing in baseball much anymore. And it would be nice to get back to that. I, you know, I don't know that we ever do. It's going to take a real change in thinking. It's going to take a change in a lot of things, honestly. Uh, but this is a really cool thing. This is, I think, how you can sell baseball, too. Like, the way the NFL sells quarterbacks, baseball can sell starting pitching matchups. You know, like, in football, you would sell Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. This is kind of what we have Sunday afternoon. Scherzer and Woodruff, two of the best in the sport right now. And, uh, you know, I, I think we should appreciate that. And hopefully we get a good game on Sunday. Yeah, no, I agree. I I love a great pitching matchup, especially when they both go seven or eight or more innings. You know, that that's the problem is that too many of these end up, they only last five or six either because the pitch count is high or uh, a manager has too many good relievers. So maybe we'll see them go deep in the game. It would be nice. This is kind of like an opening day matchup, you know, when you, you, you get the Scherzer versus DeGrom. Well, we had Scherzer versus Kershaw back in early April. That was another one that drew your attention because of the names and the pedigrees for them. You know, Woodruff doesn't have that pedigree yet, but people who know baseball know how good he is. And let's see, I hope it is a great one. And you hope that uh, the Nats can maybe scratch out a run or two, and then Max can hold it for them. And maybe they actually win a low scoring game. It's been a struggle for them to try to do that right now. Nine game homestand started off three and doe. Nats are one and four since. If they end up going four and five on this homestand, which was set up for them to go six and three or better, that is a very big disappointment. There's no other way to say it. You tell us what you think. The Nationals, game three against the Brewers on Sunday afternoon. Hit us up on Twitter, uh, at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast as well, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, simply email Tim Shovers at, again, that address, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can also email us your voice memos, anything you want to say, any questions you want to ask, record yourself uh, saying or asking into your smartphone, then email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts are available for you uh, at natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Anthony Rendon is on deck. This is the Nationals' chance here with two out. 
Hayter sets. Taylor the lead from first. The kick and the pitch to Zim. Swing and a broken bat pop up. Shallow center field. This is going to fall in for a base hit. Taylor around second will go to third. And Kane runs it into the infield with nobody covering second. Thames, the first baseman, was a cutoff man near the mound. A broken bat single to center for Zimmerman as a pinch hitter. And the tying runs are on base. And Anthony Rendon is the batter.